Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights and topical debate. Welcome to the June 2021 episode of the Into Security podcast. I'm Eleanor Zalloway, Editorial Director of Info Security Magazine. And I'm James Coker, reporter at Info Security Magazine. So this month's Into Security podcast is sponsored by TuxCare, taking care of Linux systems through live patching and vendor-grade support for both current and end-of-life Linux distributions. Secure enterprise Linux systems in partnership with a proven technology partner, TuxCare. So we've been really looking forward to this podcast as it's been, uh, well, I think we found it's been an especially busy news week, really, in the world of info security. Um, mm-hmm. So we've that in mind, Eleanor and I have picked out just a handful of stories to dig deeper into. Yeah, and not just a busy work week, but actually a load of positive stories and success stories, um, which, let's be honest, isn't always the case in the info security world. And we have a bit of a reputation for always, um, not just Info Security Magazine, but the tech press of always reporting the failures and the breaches. So it's been wonderful to be reporting on some great successes this week. Um, so yeah, let's start with those uh, sunnier stories, I think, James. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great way of putting it. Um, so as, as as has kind of been the trend throughout 2021, 20, really, we've seen seen a lot more headlines related to ransomware in recent weeks. And obviously, there's there's kind of still been a lot a lot of attacks going on. Um, but encouragingly, also, we're seeing a lot of good efforts in in the fight back against against this scourge, um, especially especially in response to attacks such as the U.S. East Coast. Uh, pipeline um, at a federal government level. Um, so just last week, uh, we reported that the principal associate deputy attorney general at the United States Department of Justice has stated that ransomware attacks in America are to be investigated with a similar urgency to incidences of terrorism, which shows how much um, this issue is high up on the agenda at at the White House. Um, So in practice, this means there'll be a specialized process to track all ransomware cases, regardless of where it may be referred to. Uh, to in this country. Um, so this this is something that's typically used in cases of national security. So I'd say it's, it's a great thing that the importance of cybersecurity and ransomware in particular is being recognised at such a high level. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't take long um, for a really big high profile um, story to come out of this you know, increased severity around ransomware that the White House has given it. So this week um, we reported on the FBI Bitcoin seizure and it really was exciting. Um, I was genuinely yeah. excited when the story broke because it's a very rare win um, in the fight against ransomware. Mm. So the Department of Justice announced that they managed to seize around 2.3 million in cryptocurrency, and that's in US dollars, paid to DarkSide. Um, it was a really strange situation because they reported the amount of Bitcoins that had been stolen and then recovered. And then they also reported the amount of money that had been stolen and then recovered. And there was it didn't quite add up, the maths, but actually... Obviously, the the highly flux rate of Bitcoin means that despite winning back like a high portion of the Bitcoin, it it did relate to a a much lesser dollar value. But still, 
an absolute coup for the newly launched DOJ Ransomware and Digital Extortion Task Force, which of course coordinated the operation. And apparently the task force were able to review the public Bitcoin ledger and track the transfers to a specific address. Um, And the FBI had the private key for that. So um, we we don't know how um, that happened yet, but they did. So they could access and seize the funds. The Deputy Eternal General, uh, Lisa Monaco, thanked Colonial Pipeline for quickly notifying the FBI when they were targeted. She said the successes in seizing back a lot of the ransomware payment was actually partly due to the early notification. That's something we talk about a lot in the industry, you know, the importance of disclosure and rapid disclosure when security events do happen. So ransomware has been huge on the agenda for years now. But in the last few months, um, as James said, it's really stepped up a gear. And we ran an incredible point counterpoint on whether or not you should ever pay ransoms in the latest print issue. Um, It's also available online. And to be honest, both authors made excellent points. Um, So, yeah, Christopher Ray, who's the FBI director, say that the agency is currently investigating around 100 kinds of ransomware. So I'm hoping that we're going to get more positive headlines like the Colonial Pipeline one very soon. Absolutely. Exactly. As you said, it feels like it was a rare win in the fight against ransomware. But hopefully this will be something that represents a step in the right direction for tackling this growing problem. There's just another ransomware story I want to cover. I hope no one gets bored of these Um, given how many we're we're talking about. But this is basically the updated guidance from the UK's National Cybersecurity Centre following a rise in threats targeting the education sector in in the UK specifically. So, for example, we saw attacks against the universities of Portsmouth and Hertfordshire in in April, which led to both institutions suffering network outages lasting for days, which is obviously very disruptive. So the NCSC basically warned about the, the potentially devastating impact that these attacks can have on education institutions as it can take a very long time to reinstate critical services. And he also added that previous incidents have led to the loss of student coursework, um, school financial records and data related to COVID-19 testing. So so very sensitive information as well. So it, it kind of noted that in many cases, cyber criminals target of networks through VPNs and remote desktop protocol endpoints uh, by exploiting unpatched bugs or weak passwords or lack of multi-factor authentication. So therefore, the NCSC basically recommended a defence in-depth approach to protection, including MFA, antivirus, prompt patching and disabling macros and scripting environments to really help disrupt this route into education bodies that ransomware actors um, often employ. Yeah, I'm going to touch on education bodies again, actually, later in this news roundup, but stepping away briefly from ransomware, another excellent story this week was the Australian and FBI encrypted chat sting. Um, So US and Australian officials hacked into an app used by criminals to read millions of encrypted messages, which then led to hundreds of arrests and suspected organised crime figures in multiple different countries. The operation was called Ironside. It's like something out of a movie. It led to arrests of suspects involved in the global narcotics trade. And the Australian Prime Minister called it a heavy blow to organised crime. There was a news conference planned, I believe, for last night, when hopefully we get more details from Europol and the FBI. It's believed that an Australian underworld figure began distributing customised phones containing the app to his associates as a secure means to communicate and plan crime. And the gangs, of course, believed the system was secure. 
But Kershaw, who is the Australian Federal Police Commissioner, and I can't remember his first name, actually, he said that they've been in the back pockets of organised crime. And he spoke of the type of content that they were monitoring, drugs, violence, hits on each other, murders, plans to attack public places with machine guns. I mean, it really was the stuff of movies. But so far... A total of 525 charges have been laid, 104 firearms have been seized, and $35 million in cash. Um, And authorities expect that many more in the coming weeks. So, yeah, another really positive news story in the cybersecurity sector for law enforcement making wins against cybercriminals. So I think what with this and the FBI Bitcoin seizure um, for Colonial Pipeline, uh, we've had a lot to shout about and in a really good way for once. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as you say, it's, it's kind of proven so tricky for law enforcement to disrupt these type of criminals, which operate, obviously can operate from anywhere in the world. So let's hope we, we see more of, of this trend continuing going forward. So now just a quick note about our podcast sponsor, TuxCare. TuxCare helps organisations take care of the support, maintenance and security of enterprise Linux systems. Live patching from TuxCare eliminates the need for server reboots and downtime. That means faster, more reliable security updates across all your Linux system components, including the kernel and shared libraries, databases and virtualization environments. TuxCare offers support for both current and end-of-life Linux distributions. It is a flexible service with a reasonable price that keeps enterprise Linux systems continuously updated and secure. Thanks to TuxCare, you can more quickly and more easily achieve compliance with ever stricter enterprise security standards. Keep your systems and your data safe with TuxCare. Thanks, James. So we're going to just do one more positive, the White Hats are winning type story for this podcast. Let's keep up the positivity while we can. A Latvian woman was charged in the US with her role in a cybercrime group. Ala Witte, a 55-year-old woman known as Max, lives in Suriname in South America, and she's been charged with developing malicious software used by a cybercrime organisation called TrickBot Group that infected computers worldwide with malware that targeted hospitals, schools, businesses, governments, also, and importantly, looted bank accounts of millions of dollars, the Justice Department has said. So a few interesting points on this. Um, The prosecution is part of the newly developed ransomware task force that James mentioned from the Justice Department. A really, really busy week for them. Um, And also, um, Alla, of course, is a woman. It's far rarer that we hear about cybersecurity prosecutions of women. So she is specifically accused as working as a malware developer for the group. Now, moving on to sort of less positive stories and more typical of uh, the podcast. James, you covered the internet outage story on the day it broke two days ago now and then a follow-up the next day and I can't believe that for a full 30 minutes the world couldn't order a toasty machine or a paddling pool on same day (laughs) delivery on Amazon. Absolute disaster. So tell us more. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I I think this is going to bring us all back down to earth slightly unfortunately but yeah I I think most of our viewers will be aware of the major internet outage that as you say took place on Tuesday the 8th of June so a number of major websites went offline temporarily I think for around 30 minutes 30 to 40 minutes so these included some really big online companies so that includes Amazon Reddit and Twitch 
uh, and also some very large media outlets such as the Financial Times, The Guardian and The New York Times. So obviously in a, such a digitised environment, particularly since the COVID-19 pandemic, where so many people are reliant on the internet for their services and to get information, this was very disruptive both to businesses and, and individuals, even though it was over a relatively short time frame. And of course, the toasties that you mentioned is uh, probably, probably the worst <laughs> part of it. <laughs> It quickly became apparent that the issue was caused by a bug in the content delivery network of Fastly, which is a cloud computing services provider which serves large parts of the internet. So the next day, more details about what caused the issues emerged when, to their credit, Fastly published a blog detailing exactly what took place and what their response was to it. So it emerged that the problem was apparently triggered when a single Fastly customer changed their settings, which exposed a bug in a software update that was issued by the company back in mid-May. In many ways, it wasn't a huge problem, but at the same time, it's quite a concerning story. So obviously, software bugs can happen, and it's great that Fastly were able to address the problem quickly and, and were so transparent about what happened. But at the same time, it demonstrated to some extent how fragile the infrastructure of the internet really is, and that one bug in a software update was able to take so many parts of the internet offline for a period. So that's definitely an issue that needs to be looked at really going forward and something I'm sure we'll be reporting on going forward. I think the fascinating thing for me was I'd never heard of Fastly. I mean, had you? Mm. No, no, I have to be honest. And uh, as you say, they yeah. also play such a big part in the in the running of the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what's interesting about big outages and headlines like this. You suddenly become aware of like all of the pieces that are sort of behind the scenes in making our internet run so well. So I think the fact that suddenly everyone was talking about Fastly when you know, even tech reporters didn't know about it before was just really interesting. Like you say, only 30 sort of minutes or so, but what an impact it made. So moving on to our penultimate story now, um, a teenager crashed a Florida school district's network. So a teenage boy from Florida is facing felony charges after carrying out a cyber attack that knocked 145 schools offline last spring through a distributed DDoS attack. The teenager said that he'd become fixated about disrupting the school's network after watching a video on YouTube. He was, of course, expelled, although that sounds like the least of his worries at the moment. Um, but he has said that he regrets his actions and he hopes to have a career in cybersecurity. And I've, this really struck me as interesting because it reminds me of so many of the great minds and brains in cybersecurity who I've interviewed over the years that have told me of similar stories and similar actions in their pasts where they sort of flirted with the dark side or, um, you know, wore a black cat temporarily before ultimately landing on the cybersecurity side, swapping the black cats for the whites. And then, of course, you've got the Kevin Mitniks of the world that did way more than flirt with the dark side and ended up in solitary confinement in prison for a while, yeah. um, but still ultimately ended up on the cybersecurity side eventually. So I found this really interesting because I thought, I wonder whether this the teenage boy from Florida will be someone that in 10 years' time we're interviewing for the magazine. But in other sort of interesting sort of news around this, there's been a recent spate of attacks um, suggesting that cyber criminals have started to take notice of the weaknesses in the cyber defence of schools, universities and learning centres, as we sort of alluded to earlier. And universities operate large corporate-sized networks, but without the budgets and therefore the security to match. Um, and add into that that teachers and students aren't given the training quite often that corporate employees are around information security. Of course, university research is actually really valuable to cyber criminals. You can take the University of Oxford's vaccine research, for example. 
I think it was in February that hackers snooped around in search of the AstraZeneca intellectual property. So it's not surprising that in 2020, just over half of UK universities reported a breach to the ICO. And of course, universities and schools going offline is even more catastrophic with all the remote working that's been happening happening during lockdown um, and since the pandemic began. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that story kind of reminds me of, I suppose, a bit of the, the early days of cyber attacks where it was primarily teenage boys in sitting in their bedrooms kind of conducting these types of attacks and obviously it's uh, <laughs> changed a lot since then we've organized gangs and, and even governments but yeah it's sort of a bit of a throwback away in a way in that sense yeah i just wanted to end in today's podcast really with, with a bit of a sad story this week qualis announced the death of its former ceo chairman and leader for the past 20 years felipe quarto at the age of uh, 76 so felipe has, has been ceo of the company since 2001 and he's obviously overseen a huge growth of the company in that period and more generally he, he's really been a pioneer of the, the cloud revolution that we're really now starting to see take hold so uh, a really big figure in the industry so eleanor i know you've met Felipe on a number of occasions over the years and I, I was just wondering what your your best memories of, are of him sorry yeah we've I've, I've sat down for many interviews with him and sort of seen him speak at events and um, the Qualys press events over the years I think he really is truly one of those figures that is synonymous with his brand so when I think of Qualys I think of Philippe but a very sort of serious exterior actually but I think sort of once you got beneath that almost uh, arguably like surly um, exterior he was just full of passion and enthusiasm and so yeah just absolutely passionate about what he does and 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 qualis and um yeah i've got some yeah i had some great times with him and he he taught me a lot so i was really sad to see the news that week and um, of course um here at info security our hearts go out to qualis his colleagues and his family with with the sad news So anyway, that rounds up our June Into Security episode. All that's left for me to do now is thank our sponsor, TuxCare. Um, Once again, TuxCare supports over 40 popular Linux distributions and is already deployed across more than 800,000 enterprise systems. So go to tuxcare.com to apply for a free proof of value for your organisation. Um, so thank you so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to check out the rest of our Into Security and Into Security Chats podcasts. Until next time, please stay safe. I've been Eleanor. And I've been James. Thanks for listening to Into Security. For in-depth interviews with the industry's finest minds, check out our sister podcast, Into Security Chats. Join us again next month. Until then, stay safe and keep up to date with everything you need to know about information security via the infosecurity-magazine.com website.